Well, a few things before I get started this morning. One of them uh, is obviously Randy is not here this morning. He's on vacation this week, so be in prayer for him and his family. It's kind of nice that they've gotten the family all back together this summer. They've been off on different mission trips to different parts of the world, and so they spent a lot of the summer apart, so they're going to have some family time together before uh, Mary Beth heads back to school and they get split up again, but keep them in your prayers. Second thing, if you're visiting with us, you can't help but have noticed a lot of red and blue t-shirts, and you think, what in the world kind of church is this? Why is everybody wearing this? Well, this is part of our summer program. We have a different program every summer to just kind of encourage attendance and to be excited about serving the Lord. And so this year, uh, Ronnie West, our minister of education, divided us up into teams, red teams and blue teams. So that's why the two uh, t-shirts. And somehow Ronnie manages to arrange this program so that the Sunday I preach, I have to wear a T-shirt up on, on the platform. He does this every year, and I don't know how he plans it so well and accomplishes it. But I also want to show you something, a tragic result of, of this. You know, uh, sometimes things just happen. You don't intend for them to out of a program. But our program is splitting up families. Because I want you to see this beautiful lady right here. This is my wife. You notice what color T-shirt she has on? Blue. And I'm in red. So... While most of you are still together, there, there are a few families here in the church that tragically have been torn apart by this whole summer program. So be in prayer for us. And one final thing, uh, I just got back from vacation last night, which was a good thing, a good time. One problem on vacation, I broke my glasses. And so uh, I have my little bifocal magnifying glasses, or, and I can put them on and see my Bible to read, or I can take them off and actually see you. I can't do both. So uh, we'll just kind of work our way through this this morning. If it looks a little awkward at times, it's either because I can't see you or I can't see the scripture that I'm trying to read. You know, most of us in here this morning are at least familiar with the term, the Good Samaritan. Most of us know the story, but even those that don't know the story have heard the term somewhere. You know, it comes from Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the story is told there where this man who is traveling is, falls among thieves, is beaten up, left on the side of the road. First, a priest comes by and sees him and goes to the other side and ignores him and keeps on going. Then a Levite comes, and he too decides to cross over rather than help this man. And finally, a third man comes along, a Samaritan, a man that the Jews would not think would stop and help a Jew, but the Samaritan does. He not only stops and helps him, but he takes him for care, and he offers to pay for all of it. And so... He has kind of gotten that name, that moniker of the Good Samaritan. But this morning, I don't want to talk to you about the Good Samaritan. I want to talk to you about the Bad Samaritan. Now you're going, I don't, I don't remember a story entitled The Bad Samaritan. Well, it's probably not entitled that way in your scripture, but that's what it is. It's a story of the Bad Samaritan. Now, I want to say to you up front, this Samaritan is not bad because, uh, you know, she is inherently more evil than anybody else. She's not bad because she goes around choosing to do evil and awful things. She's not bad because she kicks puppies and scares children. She's bad because she's just like us. She's just like you, just like me. And as she goes about her life, she's messed up. She has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as the Scripture tells us. And so she's exactly like you, exactly like me, and that's what makes her bad because every one of us, apart from Jesus Christ, are bad. That is our nature. That is who we are. We are sinners, and we're only saved by the grace of God. 
So this morning, I wanted you to get your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. And those of you like me, put on your spectacles so you can actually see the scripture that you're reading. John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? For are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. It is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then a little further on in the chapter, in verse 39, we read, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. As I said this morning, this woman is like you. She's like me. There are areas in her life where she has messed up and messed up royally. And as we sit here and stand here this morning, that describes our lives. As I said at the beginning, we're all sinners. The only difference is some of us today stand here and sit here saved by grace, and some of us haven't yet experienced the grace of God. Some of you are like that woman, coming for the very first time. And today, you'll have the opportunity to encounter the risen Lord, to encounter the Savior, Jesus Christ. Others of us this morning, God is going to speak to us, maybe about some sin that we've let slip back into our lives. 
or some sin that we've never really dealt with in our lives. But I believe God has a message for all of us this morning. One of the first things that God shares with us in this story is God already knows your sins and your failures. Understand that. When Jesus began to talk with this woman and began to initiate the conversation, he already knew all about her failed marriages. He already knew that she was living in adultery. He already knew all of these things about her. And folks, Jesus knows all those things about you and about me as well. So I used to know a lady who would sometimes stand up to give testimony, and when she did, she would always begin it this way. Now, I know all of you think that I'm perfect. Yeah, you understand. Nobody thought she was perfect. We all knew. And yet some of us kind of go before God like that, go before Jesus like that, don't we? We go before Him and thinking we're going to surprise Him with what we're about to share, with the testimony we're about to give. Folks, understand this. We never have to go before Jesus and share something with him that he doesn't already know. We don't have to go before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know this is going to be a surprise to you, but I lied today. He knew it. You know, I know this is going to surprise you, but I, I cheated on my taxes. I, I cheated on my spouse. You know, I know this is going to surprise you, but I did something awful today. Jesus knows all of our failures. You know, he asked or told the woman, he said, go get your husband. And she came back and replied very honestly, unlike many of us, but she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus goes, yeah, you're right. And he began to lay it all out before her. Everything that she knew. He knew her failures before he began to talk with her. In fact, the, va the very fact that he knew her failures is why. He sought her out. And again, folks, the same is true for us. The very fact that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the very fact that we have failed to live up to what we should as, as human beings, as Christians, as children of God, that's why God comes to us and deals with us in our lives. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus knows your failures. But here's the second great truth in this scripture. Jesus loves you in spite of your failures. Now, most of us in here, whether we're baseball fans or not, we know the expression, three strikes and what? You're out. And most of us kind of live our lives like that in a lot of ways. You know, somebody can do something to us once, maybe twice, but by the third time, we're through with them. In fact, that's part of my counseling policy. I'll be honest with you. If you come to me for counseling, most of the time I'll try to get Roddy to do it anyway, but if you come to me for counseling, and I do that, that's better for you. Roddy's a better counselor than I am. But if you come to me for counseling, I'll share what I think the Bible says, what I think you ought to do. And if you go back and keep on doing what you're doing, I'll talk to you a second time and share that counsel with you again. And you keep on doing what you wanted to do and were doing and come back the third time, I'll share with you a third time. But at that point, if you're not going to listen to the counsel I'm giving you, you're wasting both of our times. Three strikes and you're out. Well, this woman came to Jesus with three strikes, didn't she? Think about it. 
She came to him, first of all, she was a woman. And in that day and time, you know, the men and women, they didn't spend a lot of time. They didn't mix together. Secondly, she was a Samaritan. And as it says in the Scripture, and as we talked about, Samaritan and Jews just didn't get along. In fact, the Jews would have gone, yeah, the bad Samaritan. I understand that story. They're all bad. And then her third strike is she's living a life of sin, living in the midst of adultery. So three strikes and you're out. Except Jesus says, three strikes and you're still loved. Three strikes and there's still hope. Three strikes and I still care about you. You know, in our culture, in our our society, love oftentimes is something you kind of earn. You know, if you look a certain way or you act a certain way, then you can be loved. The problem is most of us don't have what it takes to be loved. We don't have what it takes to look a certain way. We don't have what it takes to act a certain way. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ loves us in spite of all of that. He loves us warts and all, the saying goes. Well, our sin, our failure, all of that are our warts. And yet Jesus Christ looks at us and still loves us. In fact, he loves us so much that the Bible says he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, understand this. God doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because God loves us. So God knows your failures. He loves you in spite of your failures. And then the third great truth in this is that he provides forgiveness for your failures. Now Jesus went to this woman and he said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and now you're living with one who's not your husband. I mean, Jesus just came right out and pointed her sin out to her. And look at how she responds. She doesn't deny it. She doesn't try to justify it. She doesn't try to minimize it. She agrees. Folks, that's what Jesus wants out of us. He wants to provide us with this forgiveness of our sins. He wants to deal with these areas in our lives. But to do so, there are certain things that we have to do because understand this. God can't turn your mistakes into miracles until you're willing to let him heal your heart through biblical repentance. The Bible tells us the steps that we need to take. And the first one is this. We need to admit it. We need to admit our mistakes. See, a lot of us don't want to do that. A lot of us don't want to acknowledge what our problems are, don't want to acknowledge what our issues are. We'd rather sweep them under the rug, hide them in the dark somewhere. But he says we must admit our sins. You see, repentance doesn't come until you and I grieve over our sins in the light of God's holiness. Until we see it as God sees it. That's what confess really means. Confess means to say the same as. Or to speak the same as. 
And so when we confess our sins, we're speaking them the same as God speaks them. We're agreeing with God. Our tendency sometimes is to downplay it by changing the words. You know, we do things like, well, adultery. Let's just call it an affair. That doesn't sound as bad, does it? You know, uh, sexual sin was a lapse of judgment. It was just a miscue on our part. We got all sorts of words to try to justify them. But he says, admit them. Acknowledge them. Agree with God on them. So admit it. And then here's the second one. The second one in biblical repentance is quit it. One of my favorite little video clips that has gone around is from an old, I've forgotten whether it's Mad TV or, or Saturday Night Live, but it's Bob Newhart is on there playing a psychiatrist. And this woman comes to him and she needs help and he says, I think I can help you. I've discovered two words that will change your life entirely. And so she's been telling him about her problem and she says, you know, I'm afraid, to, I have a t- fear of being buried alive in a box. And he goes, I've got two words that will help you with that. Stop it! That's also my new counseling philosophy if you do want to come to me. (laughs) But quit. See, that's the problem with a lot of us. We want a second chance. We know we have messed up. We know we have sinned. We're even willing to say the word. But the problem with a second chance is then we want a third chance. And a fourth chance. And so on it goes. But what God wants us to have is a changed life, a changed heart. One that's not going to do those things anymore. But again, we go back to minimalizing. We go back to justifying. We go back to rationalizing. We go back to ignoring our sins. And so the process just keeps on going. Christian, I want you to hear me in this next phrase. The very sin in your life that you're ignoring, rationalizing, or justifying is the one thing that's keeping you from reaching the heights with God that you're intended to be at. Not only are we to admit our sins, we're also to quit them. And then, third, we're to forget them. The great news of the Scripture is that God forgives and forgets our sins. But you and I have a hard time sometimes forgetting them, don't we? We let them bog us down. And there is somebody who is more than willing to help us with that. He's called the accuser of men. His name is Satan. And he'll keep trying to bring up all of that old stuff. But you know what the Bible tells us? As far as the east is from the west, That's how far God has put our sin from us. He separated us from all of that when we seek His forgiveness in biblical repentance, when we seek His forgiveness in earnest. God has put all of that behind us. 
So we need to learn to forget. We need to learn to move on. Now that doesn't work if you haven't quit it. But once we've admitted it and quit it, we need to move on to what God has because He has a different plan, a different path, a different life in store for us now. Folks, understand that God wants His children to have an abundant life. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, He says. Folks, understand this. Our destiny, our destiny is not determined by what we have done wrong. Our destiny is determined by what Christ has done right. It's determined by His righteousness. God knows our sins. He loves us in spite of our sins. And He's provided forgiveness for our sins. So what do we do with that? today how do we handle that this morning do you think it was by accident that jesus sat at the edge of a well where the samaritan woman was coming i don't i don't think that was a chance encounter i think it was an encounter in the providence of god Do you think it's by chance or by coincidence that God brought each one of us here today to hear this message from His Word? I don't think that either. I think God has a word for each one of us in this passage. For some of us sitting out here today, as you sit there, you have never experienced the love of Christ. You've never really come before Him and acknowledged that you were a sinner. Acknowledged your sin. Acknowledged that you needed help. You needed a Savior. And so today He brought you here to understand that He knows. There's nothing in your life that's too big, too small, too clear or too hidden for Jesus to know about. And he brought you here this morning so that you could hear that he knows and that he loves you and that he's waiting to forgive you. Then there's some of us sitting here who have experienced that. We know that forgiveness of God. We've accepted him as Savior. But there's some areas, some issues in our lives that we've played games with. We came to Him for a second chance rather than a changed life because we really didn't want to give up what we were doing anyway, even though we knew it was wrong. And so it's continued on in our lives. We've never come to that step of quitting it. And God brought you here today to say, it's time to quit. He brought you here today to say, stop it. 
And there's some of us here today who are struggling with that forget part. We are letting our lives be determined by what we've done wrong in the past. I can't do that because everybody will remember when. No, what they'll remember is when you turned your life over to Jesus. When you surrender to Him and let Him fully live through you. What is it that God is saying to you today? I know in general what he's saying to us about all of these issues. But I don't know what he's specifically saying to you. But you know what you do. Whether you want to admit it this morning or not, you know what he's saying to you right now. You can feel it in your heart. You can feel it in your spirit. And you hear what God's saying. And so now we come to a time of His invitation. We come to a time in which He says, Come. Come, all of you that labor with this. Come, all of you that are heavy laden, that are weary. Come, those who need a Savior. Come, those who need the strength to quit. Come those who need to forget. In just a moment, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. There are going to be some pastors down at the front. And some of you need to get out of your seats and come down. And take a pastor by the hand. And just say, I need a Savior. I need God's forgiveness for my sins. Some of you maybe need to come and say, I want to be a part of this church where God's love and God's mercy and God's grace is working and moving and where people are serving God out of His love. Just come and say, I want to be a part of this church. There's some of you who need to come and just use these steps as a prayer altar. And maybe you need to pray about quitting it. Maybe you need to pray about forgetting it. Maybe you need to pray about sharing it. As I said, you know what God's saying to you today. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Would you listen to the voice of God? There in your heart. There in your spirit. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you anyway.
Jesus' gift is available to you. Father, as we begin to sing in just a moment, may we respond to your word and to your call. Father, may we be obedient. May we not play any more games, pretend, minimize, justify. May we, like the woman at the well, just admit. Might we confess and agree with you today, Lord, and respond as you call us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.